Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 295. Jason Lingren is with me, and we have asked back Dr. Bear Lando, who you may remember from earlier episodes. It's pretty darn cold where I am, sub-zero. We're finally getting uh, a January that resembles a January here. We've been in the 40s a good deal of the time. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a chilly good morning for me as well. Yeah, I can't wait till we get through this. California guy caught in uh, sub-zero is not a very happy time. <laughs> but um, anyhow, let's let's get Bear in here and jump in. Uh, welcome, Bear. Hey, uh, good to hear you guys again. And uh, a very wet hello from... The Northwest here, you know, I'm just barely in California, so we're in a Northwest kind of thing, and we can get as much as uh, close to 200 inches of rain every year. We're in the thick of it right now. All right. I was going to mention, just so everybody knows the way we're doing this, there's a few second lag on Bear's voice, and Bear and I are on the same channel. I'll do what I can to keep us separated so it doesn't seem like we're bumping into each other, um, but that can be a strain at times. Anyhow, Bear, I'll cue you up. Uh, I'm going over the reference note. Uh, why don't we jump in on bioterrain? And I'm guessing you're probably going to have to let folks understand what exactly is bioterrain. Yeah, bioterrain medicine has uh, become sort of a trendy term these days because of the prevailing circumstances out there that everybody's hearing about are really creating a lot of dialogue about what's causing health problems. And so some notable uh, medical doctors, after reviewing, for instance, some of my work that I've been involved with for a long time, and also the whole body of uh, science behind biotrain medicine, they're bringing it to the forefront as a possible um, explanation or alternative uh, to un not only understand things, but also to elevate the health of the whole population. So uh, bioterrain medicine, very simply put, is uh, looking at the ecology of the human body as the thing we really need to focus on if we are really seeking true and lasting health, rather than looking at pathogens or entities existing in nature that we call disease and understanding that those things that we think are giving our problems are actually byproducts of an ecology that has gone south. And so what we try to do in our business is, you know, really educate people how to take better care of themselves and understand they have to manage their own ecology. And then if they get into, uh, you know, problems of any type, the way out of it is uh, number one, through an awareness that you have a lot to do with it. And then also focus therapies based on returning the ecology to its normal pristine state. So when we're talking about the ecology of the human body, what specifically are we talking about? I mean, I took a look around and it looked to me like a lot of the places offering bioterrain um, were concerned with mineral balances in the body. Uh, are we talking about cell salts and minerals and things like that? Is that part of this approach? Well, that's one small component of it. And I come from a, a whole lineage of study that started back in, um, well, in, in all sorts of parts of the world. But, uh, you know, more recently in the later 1800s, early 1900s, there's uh, uh, just wonderful practitioners and scientific endeavors that were understanding the bioterrain as a living system 
that really largely is directed by microbes in our body that are beneficial actors working and doing things in our favor. And uh, again, because of uh, outer circumstances at the moment, I've been invited to do a lot of interviews to discuss that level of our ecology. And, and that's certainly important and you know, what we call microbiology and uh, the biochemical terrain as well. But again, my background certainly involves that to a great deal, but it also acknowledges through the work of people like Rudolf Steiner and, and many other great minds that all contributed to this science, that the bioterrain is actually a, a vast energy matter continuum. So microbiology, as we would think of it, is one component along that continuum, our chemistry, the things that you mentioned, Crow, are part of that continuum, you know, mineralization and all those things that we pay great attention to, but it's a single component. So you have to have a way to look at everything from, you know, what we'll loosely term consciousness through different electromagnetic stages all the way down to the ground where the rubber meets the road and creates our biology and microbiology in the first place. So how much does geography play into this? Um, I'm actually reading a couple definitions as I go along. And so if I'm following your thread, for one thing, currently, if an average human being goes to the doctor now with a bad foot, they say, oh, you got to go see the foot doctor. Uh, Biotrain's more holistic, right? So the foot's connected to the body. So uh, we're looking at the whole as opposed to pieces of it. But also, does geography play into this? Sure it does, because where you live, you are a product of that geography as well, or maybe maybe better stated, not necessarily a product, but an interactive element within that outer ecology or that outer environment, as we might think of it. But it is, in fact, a unified informational field where our meridian system that mediates between our neurology is constantly in communication with our outer circumstances or environment and that two-way feedback keeps our body in homeostasis with wherever we live and of course you know you guys live in a different part of the world than i do so there's all sorts of different elements that we face and our individual biologies or ecosystems have to adapt to those particular circumstances, which might also include just understanding that where we live might also provide the elements that are really essential to our health according to where we live. Different seasons that provide different foodstuffs and sort of thing. We should really look to nature as our cue as far as what we should be eating and doing at certain times of the year and relative to the type of environmental circumstances that are unique to where we live. You know, it's interesting you say that. I was just doing some reading on Confucius. One of the things he said is, if it's not in season, don't eat it. But this is what I'm noticing where I am. Um, I have had plumbers, electricians, other people come out to the house. The first thing I tell them is you can breathe freely here. They seem to be very appreciative for, I guess, one person is the exception there from the cable company. Every other individual that's been out here has been so grateful that they could breathe while they were doing their work here. But what I noticed as I talked with them is because they are similar age as I am, they're taking care of their parents and they're running into all these things <clears throat> which have totally thrown them off the allopathy idea. Like one day there's a hip problem. So they take a parent in, they get tested and they are positive for COVIDius minimus. The next 
Two days later, they get tested again because they're going to go in and have a procedure and they're negative. And I've heard this story over and over from at least three or four people um, that their aging parents have been tested and it's been all over the place and nobody's buying anymore. And so this must play into the popularity and the rise for the ideas like bio terrain theory. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel curiously optimistic these days, despite or in spite of uh, outer circumstances, because the way I view things, you know, I've been at this a long time. And, you know, my journey in, in medicine began about 50 years ago, and I had a good 40 plus experience practicing biotrain medicine. And as you guys know, I'm involved in other things too. And when you speak about those subjects that aren't part of the mainstream education or media narrative, they look at you like you have two heads. And uh, the only reason why I had a very uh, busy practice in my career years is because people would hear about me through the grapevine and they always came as a method of last resort because what they did in the conventional system not only was not working, but made them worse. And so they came in and at that point, it's like, well, what the heck do I have to lose? And then that made them very receptive. I think the population as a whole now is facing that same thing on a much larger scale. So the reason why I'm optimistic, I, I see this great awakening happening. And, you know, there's always going to be a segment of the population that does not want to awaken because I think there's deeper reasons involved uh, why that might be. If we really look at the truth and, and the reality of our circumstances, the reality of who we actually are in the first place and why we're here having this experience, it requires a degree of responsibility. So when you hear the truth relative, for instance, how to take care of your own body, then you have to say, well, I might have to make some changes in my lifestyle. I might have to make some changes in what I call my occupation, my relationships. And, you know, that's understandably uh, kind of a scary thing. And we all go through it. Some people are ready for it, some not so much. And that's why we're experiencing the great divide. But I think this time was foretold where it would be a great separation process and alchemical purification process, if you will. And some people are ready and, and embracing it as a great adventure and an opportunity of, of all times. And other people are scared to death. So what we try to do in our circles is just the people that come our way or resonate with our message uh, great. We have our dialogue. And just like you, if we encounter people that are more afraid and feel like they have to cover up their face and everything, that's fine. I don't judge them for that. And I respect uh, their wishes. But uh, another thing I think that's important these days is, you know, understanding that we do not have to conform to people that are doing things out of fear, because then we actually, I, I think, enable in a way that's really not going to be uh, good for progressing where we're at out of this situation in the first place. Well, I'm with you all day long. And before I get Jason in here, I'll point out, um, and I say it over and over and over, uh, so many people are being upset with others. And that kind of plays into the terrible hand we've been dealt. I view them as victims. Uh, I did have to go to a bank the other day, uh, got in the door, uh, didn't cover my face, didn't take the... Uh, 
the little temperature gun thing there, asked them if they were medical professionals and why I should. Um, but what I noticed was immediately all the people in the bank that were only workers, because that's the only people they're allowing in the bank without an appointment, became very nervous, at which point I said, you know what, uh, I'll go out to the car and I got my wife's lipstick covered Lord knows how used mask. And I walked back in because I knew I could see the fear in their eyes. But that is one of the side effects I think we're going to live with for a while when, to quote the Rocky Horror Picture Show, madness quits taking its toll here or starts to take its toll. People are going to be convinced for quite some time, uh, some subset of the population, that human contact can injure you or kill you in some way. And that's a shame, but I'm with you all day long. It is a bit like an alchemical process. It's almost like a winnowing, isn't it? Some people are, are not going to do very well in what's happened here, and others are probably going to come out on top. And I noticed this in income, too. So many people have been broke, but those people who have managed to keep an income seem to be making it hand over fist. Uh, it's just nothing is in balance right now. Um, but what do you think? Are we, we going to live a couple generations with some subset of the population convinced human contact can uh, injure you or kill you? Well, a lot of us understand why this is all being orchestrated, and we understand that they just keep using the same page out of the same playbook for how many decades or centuries now. So it's, it's not really rocket science as far as figuring out why this is occurring, and that, in fact, it has nothing to do at all, never did in the first place, with terrorists from another country or invisible terrorist, but the message is the same, be afraid so that we can justify tyrannical government controls and uh, have you go along with it because you uh, are buying our justifications. And if anybody thinks that they're just going to drop this all of a sudden someday, well, I, I just suggest get on an airplane and here we are, how many years uh, later since 911, and we're still taking off our shoes, we're taking off our belts and going through a very insulting and demeaning process, being treated like herd animals just to travel from point A to point B. And of course, there was never a reason for it from the start, but here we are all these years later, and a good segment of the population is still not questioning it. Uh, some of us begrudgingly put up with it, just like you went and put your mask on. But I used to fly all over the world at one time. And since 911, I, I don't go anywhere. And if I have to, uh, for instance, attend to some business on the opposite coast a few thousand miles away, I'm just going to get in my car and have a, a fun road trip out of it, even if it takes two weeks instead of a few hours to get there. So we all, I think now to use the verbiage in the mainstream now, we're deciding what's essential. Fortunately, I live in an area that's very rural and we're very far from the closest town. And when I do go into town, it's very much different than what you'd uh, be exposed to in a typical metropolitan center. Whereas uh, most of the population sees through this However, there are in certain places some of the typical stores that are requiring all the shenanigans because they're in fear of sanctions. So as an example, uh, one of the stores just happened to be the local health food store, and the owner was very concerned because he was starting to get trolled with people that were complaining about the, the non-mouth diaper wares. And... Um, 
And so a few months ago, I went in there and they know me very well. And they even listened to our podcast and things. They said, Dr. Bear, sorry, we can't let you in. And, you know, and I love those guys and, and they're feeling really bad about it. And I just said, no problem. I understand. Uh, I just won't be able to shop here anymore. And my wife and myself went home and we said, okay, we grow a lot of stuff, raise our food here. we got chickens. What is it that we get there that's essential? And, and we came to the conclusion, not that much. And then we found other ways to get those things that we did enjoy getting from that place. And then we just go about living our life in a different way. So that's going to uh, definitely give a message to those people that are trying to make us conform if we just take our business elsewhere. And at the same time, you don't have to go along with the program because there's always a plan B. So I think what it's doing now is not only forcing more people to open their eyes and become educated, but to get very resourceful and flexible with the situation. And I think that's a good thing. Well, I, I'm with you all day long. I'm going to get Jason in here, but you know, with my bank thing, uh, I could see the terror in their eyes. So I went and got the mask. When I got back into the manager's office, the whole thing is plexiglassed and I took off my mask and he started to look at me and I'm like, what dude, we're separated by plexiglass here. Literally in his office, his desk had been plexied in. So I wore it for about 10 minutes. And by the way, I walked out the door without it. But the problem here is, you know, it's hard to fathom what people are thinking. And I'm with you all day long. I'm not going to contribute to the terrorizing of people. But at the same time, I'm, you know, that's the only time I've been in the bank since March. <laughs> and I don't plan on going back. Um, we can do it all online. But Jason, you want to get in on this? So since we're always having new people, would you like to give your opinion on uh, mask wearing and the current situation, good, bad, and the ugly? And I'm completely with you on the vote with your dollar thing. I only go to one grocery store now because they don't harass me about the mask thing. Well, you know, we, we start off by saying train medicine is an energy matter continuum uh, that needs to be addressed as far as human biology. But because of the circumstances and, and because of uh, doctor's training and just the indoctrination of the, the whole population, we believe that we are these spacesuits and that's all we are and that these pathogens are these invisible terrorists. So even with the most open-minded people, it's pretty hard to, you know, get through those filters. But if we just want to keep it confined to that rudimentary isolated area, the subject of many of the interviews I've been doing with people like Dr. Cowan and Dr. Hoffman, by the way, they just did an, an amazing joint little podcast together to counter some of the uh, just some recent events that they've been exposed to, and, and it's marvelous and just puts everything in, in very clear light. But what we talk about is, in fact, this whole thing that we're afraid of has is a theory. And according to their own scientific, and I use air quotes, you know, around scientific, they haven't obeyed their own process, which is isolation, purification. So the whole thing is is mythology. So there's no reason to cover up your face in the first place. Okay, so now that brings us to the subject to us, what does a mask do? Well, it doesn't, it, let's just say their theory of this mythological virus, and we're hearing the same analogy all over the place, it, it, it's like trying to stop rain or, or something with a cyclone fence. So according to their own theoretical model, the microbe or viral size is just gonna be able to sail right through the pores of those masks. So it's not doing anything to protect 
the, the plexiglass thing that we encounter. I mean, all this stuff would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. I just, I, I chuckle when I go into a store and see that. I mean, do they think that this little two foot square thing is going to prevent these creatures from finding a way around underneath over it or from the side? I mean, it, it's such a, it's so ridiculous. We should feel very foolish. And by the way, uh, I know for a fact that in certain circles, let's just say up on uh, the, the so-called hierarchy, they're laughing their heads off at our stupidity. But the, the mass doesn't do anything uh, to stop what they theorize is occurring. And then the, the most tragic part is we're walking around breathing our own exhaust. You know, the, the respiratory system is... Uh, the largest elimination uh, process in our body. And with every expiration, we're eliminating toxins. So it's really not a good idea to rebreathe that. And, uh, you know, carbon dioxide isn't really the problem. You know, I hear that a lot, but there's actually breathing techniques like the Buteco method that train you to build up carbon dioxide oxides because that releases more oxygen from the cells. That's another tangent. But the real bad effects are rebreathing your own toxins. I think another tragic uh, component of this is when I go into the stores and there's there's always where I live, it's a little bit more unique perhaps to where most people live. But there's always a few of us, at least a handful, wherever you go, you can even go into Home Depot or something and even no, they say you got to wear a mask. Uh, we don't. And there's a few others, but most people are masked up. And when you're walking around, we make a point to just have big smiles and greet everybody with light coming out of our eyes. And, and people really react to that. And that's what people are really starving for, because our, our observation is really cutting off our humanity uh, to each other. And it's also making certain people that believe in the mask much more rude because nobody can see each other's faces. You know, nobody's getting eye contact anymore. Nobody's making that human connection. And I think the most serious consequences of it are more on that social, psychological, spiritual, interactive level that really is what makes all of us tick. You know, uh, I I think that that may be one of the longest lasting side effects, um, regardless what may happen over the next year or two, uh, the six feet of division between us, which is clearly echoing death ideas. We bury our dead six feet under, um, but Jason and I have done people where the bio, the human biofield um, ideas about what that is and how it interacts when people get close to each other. Um, but really, this this is going to be one of the lasting things. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes people uh, to get beyond these ideas. Oh, I, I know what I wanted to add. Jason, was it, was it you and I? Some I, I think it was you and I were talking with someone who claimed that there's 20, what was it? I'm, I'm guessing at the numbers, 24% oxygen. And when you put on the mask within five minutes, it goes down to 14%. Was that something you and I did? Somebody mentioned that, but I don't remember who it was. Yeah, I don't either. Go ahead. Well, perhaps Bear can tell us what the numbers should be on that. So the the fear is the big thing. I, I completely agree with you that the the controllers at whatever level are literally pointing and laughing at how the stupid sheep are just doing whatever they're told. And now they have their little monkey saying, 
you should wear two or three masks to make sure that you're truly protected. So they're, they're just cranking it up, trying to see how stupid are these guys? And what do you actually think the long-lasting repercussions of the amount of fear that they're pumping out? Because that's the true weapon here. Screw the virus. The amount of social engineering damage being done is incalculable at this point. Yeah, long-term repercussions, I would consider them the effects, the intended effects by the people that are perpetrating this whole thing. And to understand more intentions, then you have to understand the historical roots of the people behind this, which goes back to eugenics, the Royal Society, and, and the folks that really believe it is their prerogative to cull and control the herds because they are in a more elevated state of awareness and that the rest of us do not have the right nor the ability to control our own affairs anyway. You know, there's so many consequences that we do not even, we can't even conceive at this point, but there's a lot that we do know of that haven't made it into the dialogue yet. Let me give you one example. We're talking about the whole social ramifications of just separating ourselves off and not even being able to read people's facial expressions anymore. Well, that that cut off from normal social interaction greatly affects uh, an area of the brain we call the amygdala. And that is the part that is greatly activated in a very beneficial way when we have normal human uh, intimacy and interactions. And when that doesn't happen, uh, the amygdala suffers greatly. And the amygdala is right adjacent and uh, continuous with another part of the brain called the hippocampus. And in the hippocampus, uh, it is the center uh, within our central nervous system that produces stem cells to regenerate our, our central nervous system. And that's uh, very important because like any other part of the body, it needs constant renewal, regeneration, and to heal any possible damage that might be occurring. And coincident with everything that we're experiencing is being inundated with many neurotoxins that are being sprayed in the sky uh, that we're getting through food sources, through medicine, and, and every way we look that is rapidly breaking down our neurology, which, you know, in my opinion, is the, the reason why we have epidemic neurological degenerative disorders that were once rare when I started my career a long time ago, but now seem to be the new normal. And so that's bad enough. But then when you consider that we're shutting down our ability to produce new uh, neuron stem cells and not even be able to repair ourselves, because of the impact on our social interactions and intimacy with other human beings, that's just one consequence that uh, most people don't even consider. So this, this is going to, like you say, Crow, this is going to be biting people for a long time. But to end that little comment on a positive note, those of us that are using this as an opportunity and to go a little bit deeper into investigating who we are and what our purpose on this plane is in the first place, that allows us to be open to other available resources that can overcome everything that we're talking about, at least on an individual basis. And I believe the folks that are doing that, and there's a lot of us, 
you know, it is creating a new collective that is the solution to the problems that we're facing right now. You know, it's interesting as I began to realize, I don't know, some months ago, what was really going to, you know, Jason had me create a t-shirt that said something to the effect of the only contagion is fear. And after he had me make the image, I'd been thinking about these ideas and I came to realize that the, you know, the bars on the prison or the intended bars on the prison, um, you know, the cause will be fear, but those bars are really going to be commerce. And I think what you just said is really where we're going to see a lot of people emerge far beyond where they would have been had none of this happened. And on a par, uh, maybe, where they're going to have to be reckoned with. Because it's one thing to, to say the people responsible for this are advanced. Well, maybe they do have more abilities, but I can't accept advanced. If you can't have compassion for other living things in this place, whoever created it, then you're missing something. And I think you can logically work that out. But to get back to the point, commerce is really going to be the bars or the intended bars to this prism. If we go back to the old cliches like money is the root of all evil, uh, we came into this thing where seeking money and seeking better paycheck and a big bank account and entertainment and all these things as normal, that's getting reevaluated by the people who are going to survive this and come out stronger than they went into it probably. And I think that's a plus in the long run. The unfortunate part of that is there's probably a lot of people who were not fail- fare so well. They're going to get sifted through the colander because they're still stuck in the idea of what is actually the importance of entertainment or the internet or media or movies or any of this stuff um, that had become so normalized before we went into this. But at the last moment, when you stop and evaluate, there's really no value at all um, unless you, you want to give assign a value to killing time and money's not far off that assessment. I mean, what do you think Bear? Yeah, absolutely. Which is why a long time ago, human productivity, uh, currency, because it really is an electrical productive event. If you look at that, that way. So they redefine human currency, which is a very natural product of ascension being, they created uh, a monetization of currency because then our, our just normal creative um, energy flow, it positioned them as a middleman by creating these little tokens that evaluate uh, little units of human productivity. And that was the beginning of the end there. And we all kind of fell for it. And it also brings us right front and center to the problem we have in medicine these days or any uh, you know occupation. And that is uh, that with that monetization of human currency, vocation, which is defined as your true soul purpose, uh, what you're really supposed to do for your own evolution and for a contribution to the greater collective, has been uh, usurped into an occupation where you spend units of time in order to make money rather than really being able to, or giving the opportunity to ponder that you should be searching for your vocation, your true purpose. And then in the uh, art and science of medical practice, um, that means that now you can spend a lifetime really investigating and perfecting your art. And doctors now, uh, because we are monetized, our schools are very um, compartmentalized so that you can master one little component that will in fact serve the agenda very well 
to keeping the collective consciousness into a very compartmentalized consciousness. And then doctors will also uh, justify it and saying, well, even the open-minded practitioners to say, well, yeah, I'd like to practice the way the old masters used to, but who has the ability to spend a lifetime, you know, perfecting that. And also when it comes down to my practice, it would require that I spend ample time with people that is not going to really serve my bottom line to um, service my office, pay my employees and, and allow me to make a good living. And I know that firsthand because over the years, I've had a number of doctors request uh, to do an apprenticeship with me. And I accepted a, a few individuals in and it always got to that point where they said, wow, this is fantastic, but how the heck can I make this work in a commercial practice? So somehow we have to uh, individuals that want to get off of those train tracks, including medical practitioners, we have to, again, uh, be a little bit more resourceful and figure out a creative way around that in order to achieve that. Now, I figured that out for myself so I could do that, and it worked very well, but it's an individual journey. It's not always easy. Sometimes you even take a lot of arrows in your back in the process, but um, yeah. That's where we find ourselves now. And so people are going to practitioners, even alternative practitioners these days, in order to find solutions for their problems. And we really don't have a unified science or training uh, system to make doctors complete. So what we're doing on our end is creating independent resources so that not only can we live and work the way we feel is right for us, but also create prototypes so that other people can maybe be inspired and figure it out for themselves also. Well, it's a trap right from the beginning, isn't it? Because anyone coming out with the title doctor from school is already fighting this massive burden of debt that they've got to carry on their backs for God knows how long. So it seems like the whole thing is set up for failure and control right from the get-go. I paid off my student loans completely, which was graduate school, uh, various medical schools and alternative trainings that I did. And I had ways to creatively finance myself a long way, but I did have to incur some debt just to, just to make it through all that. And that was at a time where it, things weren't nearly as expensive as they are now. Uh, but still, it took me until I was 45 years old to pay all that off. I did it, and um, but now how the heck do you do what I did all those years ago? It would be, it w- it would be pretty challenging. Yeah, we've come a long way. I've read uh, about a lot of Chinese medical ideas from days gone by. Um, there's claims in a number of acceptable places, places that I have read that I find acceptable, where there were actually numbers of doctors in China that didn't get paid if they didn't heal. Um, we're a million miles away from those ideas right now, but this is the whole thing. Uh, it's my assumption that back when that saying was relevant and current, that mostly it was almost like the apprentice idea, right? So the doctor took someone in and trained them up. So debt wasn't really even built into it. And this brings me into what I've been looking at for a number of months, maybe just over a year now, I've gone back to all the old alchemical uh, symbolic ideas, the tarot, the Marseille tarot deck, and and other things. And I've revisited them for pretty specific reasons. 
Um, but one of the things is I began to realize that there's this idea, and this is why I brought up commerce, that truly money is the root of all evil and by extension commerce, that as long as you have a society that's involved in commerce and the way that we do it, you're never going to get rid of the kind of dark side of the force. And as I began to look at the older ideas, it seems to me that what they recognize as before the fall, for people who read the Bible, that would be like Garden of Eden times before all these bad things happen and we get booted out in other traditions. It's always the same story. There's a fall. Um, things they recognize are the sun, the stars, the moon, and nature. That's what they recognize before the fall, as far as I can tell, which is rather ironic because the planets are almost certainly or maybe even directly pointed at as not part of that Eden-like pre-fall idea. And what you'll notice in those old alchemical ideas is that nowhere is commerce a part of that idea. Well, when you live in nature, um, things become very apparent. And we're fortunate enough to live in that kind of environment. And I go into town, you know, maybe once every two weeks briefly, and I can't wait to go home. And town to me is a kind of an idyllic old American style town. It's, it's, we live far, far from cities. But when you live in nature, uh, the more time you spend, you're operating within a different uh, context. The things that concern most people these days really aren't a concern because uh, they all seem pretty small compared to what you're just observing and experiencing around you. Now, we use money and have to go through all that ourselves, even though so we aren't isolated from the problem. But living the way we do, it is a good constant reminder that all of those other things are, in fact, fictions. And those fictions, unfortunately, have become pretty much the sole reality of most people these days. You're talking about getting paid only for results. Also, the villages, the communities would support people in their proper vocation, especially including a physician or whatever you want to call it, because they recognized that that individual needed to perfect and go to the deepest levels of their art so they could be useful to the rest of the community. So it was very important to just make sure that the basic essentials of living were available to those people because the community did not want them to be encumbered without their trying to do a day job and, and just try to do the best they can on their medical practice on the side. They wanted those people good but we've really strayed away from that for a pretty long distance in time. And, you know, you mentioned planetary influences and so forth. Well, that gets into the basic hermetic principles of as above, so below. And that's not some kind of metaphysical concept. That is a reality because the more you understand the nature of our universe, and I think we discussed this a little bit last time we chatted, I think the individual that was the greatest link between metaphysics and what we perceive as science these days was Walter Russell. And early on, even before my medical training, I was already involved in metaphysical studies just because on some level, it just seemed to be, you know, I just seemed to intuit that there's something to that. And, uh, but then when I got into all the more the analytical training, and I have an active analytical mind, so it's a hard uh, thing to reconcile what you're 
learning in metaphysics and then what you learn in your conventional pre-med and medical school studies. And so all of us, and especially people like doctors that go through a lot of education, you have this, uh, even if you're a little bit open on the other side, you have this problem of reconciling the two hemispheres and they're at war with each other. So when I met, uh, not met, but started reading uh, and studying diligently with Walter Russell, he translated metaphysics into waveform physics that uh, helped my analytical side just explain metaphysics. And I think part of the marvelous times that we actually live in right now is that all of that information is available for anybody that and accessible for anybody that wants to study it, including doctor types. And uh, just that I think the reconciliation is uh, helping people develop a unified consciousness within themselves because part of what all of our institutions, education, financial systems, you name it, they've uh, compartmentalized our consciousness to such an extent that we're, I don't know what the right psychological term is, uh, schizophrenic perhaps. And I believe in my, in my own experience, the heart and the mind, and I'm not so much just talking about those physical organs, but you know, what they represent is conduits to deeper levels of consciousness. They're supposed to work as a unified whole. So when I came across Walter Russell's cosmogony, it helped that unification process. And, and not to suggest uh, that I'm in any particular place, but it did help me. And it's a constant process that will never end. But it did kind of get me over that hump of having that conflict within myself. And uh, when you start that unification process, all I can say is the veils start becoming extremely thin. You know, it's, it's ironic you should bring all that up, and I'm with you all day long. Fiction is the underlying problem. Uh, we've been trained up in the modern era to accept fiction as fact. In other words, we live in a fantasy-based reality. Things that are fiction, like commerce, like money has value, we accept as real when they're not. But what's ironic about what you just said is I, too, accept that people like Walter Russell gave us something of tangible value that is not fiction, that is truly valuable in our time. And just this morning, before we came on the air, I got an email from Matt Presti, who we've had on to refresh memories. He's the president of the University of Science and Philosophy for Walter Russell. And I catch up with him every once in a while. Turns out that when they came on, they had their best year in a long time coming on this show because they had their doors shut. Uh, they would, because of the fake virus, they wouldn't let people in. Amazon has taken their ability to sell the Walter Russell books off, just taken it away from them. And they can't even get responses via email. Meanwhile, other people on Amazon are doing cheap photocopy knockoffs which have been modified in some way because I've seen some of them. Um, and this is exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's fiction, isn't it? Here we have Walter Russell, who has something to offer, who's being removed. You know, no, you can't sell this material. We'll block you at every front. We'll shut the doors to the establishment that's offering these materials. And to get back to put a fine point on it, uh, up through most of my life, I was trained to accept fictional things as having intrinsic value. Money and commerce are the prime examples. Uh, money has no intrinsic value the way that we currently use it if you're using fiat currency. But there, there's the underlier. And by the way, Matt Presti just sent me a book 
there were only a few of them printed in the 30s. I guess they're going to start reprinting it, but as a, as a, a thank you, he just printed it. Um, and so I know that was a mouthful. I wanted to get in, but Jason, we're going to have to have Matt back and continue to support the Russell ideas. But uh, I'm glad to hear, Bear, that, that you found so much value in, in what he was offering, because to me, that is intrinsically valuable, particularly now. Yeah, I consider Matt a kindred spirit and a friend, and we had him on our platform as well, and well, a couple times. And um, it, it's I, I wasn't aware that Amazon took all of Walter Russell books. That's that's simply astounding. Uh, Criminal. Just uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I can't believe they went that far. So that being, as it said, Matt and, and ourselves, we've been in cahoots for a while. And then I know after the last time we had him on and then I was on yours and, and then we all kind of mutually collected. But he told us also that after he was on with us, he had a big bump in sales. And, and I know you guys are a much bigger platform than ourselves. So uh, you got him out there, I guess, big enough to get the uh, the ire of Amazon stirred. So. Yeah, yep. just an incredible time. But the more that system tries to clamp down, it really is backfiring on them. And we mentioned that fear is the motivating factor that they instill in us in order to control us. But um, I don't know about you guys, but in my personal experience, when you're just trying to process your own evolution, so to speak, uh, you come to those uh, little quirks within yourself that maybe want to control at certain times or think that you have the ability to control your circumstances or people around you in the first place, you come to the quick conclusion that, well, why do I want to do that? Well, it's it's out of fear. And then that allows you to confront that fear and say, well, that's nonsense. Let's stop this and, and let's just fix this within myself so that I'm not adversely affecting others around me. Now, imagine if you're one of these folks in this so-called hierarchy of power where you have a need to control an entire planet and herds of people. Can you only imagine the levels of fear that these so-called controllers or elites have within themselves in order to have that desire in the first place? And of course, many of us are realizing fear is exactly what destroys us. And I can even make a good argument that it, it destroys our own biology. So they have sowed the seeds of their own demise from day one. And so I think the more people that um, don't buy into it, not only are we eventually uh, developing new ways of life for ourselves and freeing ourselves from that, but we're also freeing them. Because and, and I don't want to suggest that we have to feel sorry for these people or be passive in light of what they're trying to do to us. But on a certain level, they are very, very tortured souls that need to be freed from their own creations, from their own fear. Yeah, you know, it's it's ironic that the episode image that I just made, I put out because I think so many people are, are worried that we've kind of crossed this threshold that we can never get back from. And that's really not the case. Everything is cyclical. 
So I went, I don't remember, is it a Psalm? Maybe it's Ezekiel, but go look up the biblical scripture of nothing new under the sun. Just search a KJV or, or whatever version of the Bible you use for nothing new under the sun and read that passage where it acceptably, from my point of view, informs you uh, that there is nothing new under the sun and what has been is what will be. As a matter of fact, I went so far as to put in the crow thought bubble, uh, the same thing said by Led Zeppelin. There's a quote there that you will all see. It's the exact same idea. And I went and I looked it up in, I don't know, a handful of cultures anyhow, Asian cultures and everything. And it really underscores what you just said there, um, because I do think that this ends up being a bridge too far. Unfortunately, there are going to be people who are going to learn the hard lesson and they may not go on in this current cycle and they may have to come back again. Some of us will make it. Probably a number of us are going to get winnowed out during the process. But that's the other thing. This is not the end. And not only is it not the end that, I mean, when you hit rock bottom, which we got to be getting close to here at some point, um, there's only one way to go. And, you know, for people who do follow scripture or other religious traditions, go look up right now, stop this podcast and go look up nothing new under the sun and read the chapter around it. And you can find that idea expressed in every major religious tradition that I could find to the point where even Zeppelin has, I think it's out of the rain song. I don't remember. So Bear, why don't you take a minute to tell folks where they can find your work uh, or if you want to give out contact, bear in mind, we're an hour one. So if you give out an email, you'll probably be barraged beyond belief. Yeah, I'll just give our website, alphavedic.com, and uh, we are uh, an off-grid permaculture farm because we strongly believe that agriculture should be the foundation of any civilization and as our means of sustenance and connection to nature. So our business is agricultural-based. We grow things that we put in products that then we use to finance building our prototype and our whole thing because we believe in individual commerce, not working on government grants and things. So uh, in that site that we're developing, we're not just selling stuff, but we're actually actively creating an educational platform where people can hopefully be inspired and and start doing similar things. So alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C. All right, there's the contact website for Dr. Bear Lando. And there's another thing as we begin to wrap up here, Bear. Jason and I have had a number of people, Clive DeCarl, I could list at least four people who provide health-based, just natural products whether it be something as common run-of-the-mill as magnesium or cell salts or good, pure, organic fats like coconut butter. And the internet is trying to wipe away people's ability to do natural things as well. And to me, not only is that a bridge too far, um, that's a Band-Aid that can't possibly cover up what it's trying to cover up. And it feels to me like people are getting back to the old cliches, like we are what we eat. In other words, my foot hurts. Uh, Does it make sense to go to a guy who's just going to look at my foot? Or is it my whole body, which really should be addressed here, if my foot hurts? These ideas are coming back around. And what I'm noticing, at least in the people who congregate to some degree around what Jason and I are trying to do, is there's a real push to get back to the whole body, 
which comes down to whatever you're eating is what's making that body. And luckily enough, we, we had Clive DeCarl on where I, I was told I had to get my finger cut by a surgeon because I had trigger finger. And on the air, Clive said, take that magnesium I sent you. And within 30 minutes, it was already better. Right now, I have no trigger finger. By the way, my sister had the same thing going on and she got her finger cut having done it three or four months before I learned what I learned. But to me, it feels like we're on a cusp here and that the people who come out the other side, we're really going to be in a better place. But uh, Jason, is there anything you want to add before I begin to wrap up? Uh, where are we, 295 here? Baird, do we have anything you want to plant the seed for, for people to come over to hour two? Well, the only, I, you know, I had a, a comment about nothing new under the sun. And, uh, you know, I strongly believe in that. And that might be a little bit too much of a, an involved conversation right now. But uh, it's just a comment that we can apply that to our technology that we're so enamored with these days and, and the true role of technology that should be approached in a much different way rather than uh, turning into a device of further control. So uh, maybe we can save that for later. I actually want to cover that. If you have something, I think these are important ideas. Anything that lasts the test of time that has been openly available to Lord knows how many millions of minds, that rate's important in my book. And I don't care what tradition is or what culture, if it fits that criteria that I'm interested. And the nothing new under the sun idea was, you know, I was surprised. I'm pretty, pretty up on most of the music of my era. And it had not dawned on me that even Zeppelin had grabbed that idea, which got me going. And I got over to China and a number of other places and found that the nothing new under the sun idea, it's important right now because for people who are into these spiritual ideas, it does more than give them hope. It gives them a solid foundation that you can firmly stand on. What has been will be again because ain't nothing new coming. Um, what's here is here. We're in a closed system from my point of view. The amount of water that's here is the amount of water that's here. Whether it's currently steam, a cloud, an ocean, or a lake, it's what is here. And that's how I come to understand that these old ideas that I'm reading in, in religious traditions, they're, they're factual to me. I think you can demonstrate them. But anyhow, that brings hour one of episode 295 to a close. I hope to see you all over at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. We're going to get into a bunch more stuff with Dr. Bear Lando. And by the way, we consciously decided to kind of pull our punches in hour one as it relates to Covidius minimus. When we get into hour two, no such constraints exist. The headhunters are in fact out and they're looking for heads. So we'll imply what we imply and we won't change what we're saying, but we may moderate until we get into a more protected environment. So there it is, man. Hour one of 295. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing. <laughs>